We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 477 of the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Emil Evanesian. And today we've got summer listener questions. And since there are no matches to worry about, we can just take our time with it, relax. What is it? Rest and relaxation and see where it's Exactly. Takes. What do you think, Emil? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Well, actually, unfortunately, because of Barcelona's financial situation and struggle doing anything related to registering and buying yep. players and selling players, I, I lied a little bit. There is no relaxation. There is no rest. It, it is always <laughs> all gas, no breaks when it comes here to FC Barcelona stuff. So that's why, again, I wanted to know kind of what the listeners, uh, I do this on mm. the Facebook page. So if you want to be a part of that, it's free to get in. Just answer the questions. If you don't answer the questions, then I'll let you in. If you do, I'll let you in. Mm. So this is where those listener questions came from this time. And as well as always a reminder for the Patreons. Yes, I put it on Facebook. But if you ever have a question as a Patreon, just Ping me, message me on Patreon, and we will answer that on the show. Those are of the utmost priority. Again, a reminder that the Patreon is as low as three dollars to join. It helps keep the show going and all that different stuff. So I always forget to plug stuff at the beginning, plug it, <laughs> and so there you go. There's your plug. Nice. Another little plug here too is that the YouTube channel. I've got some. I've written the scripts. Now it's time to film and edit. But I've done the homework already about a bunch of different history topics, and those are going to be coming out in the next few weeks. Just again, have to film them and edit those and do all those things. So we will have maybe even a history week where I go back and some of the ones that didn't get enough attention, I'll rehash in terms of the stadiums and da-da-da-da-da, maybe even remake some of those. So we'll see what's happening with that. But for now, let's jump right into the listener question stuff, starting with a question from Poncho. Even though it feels like every Kool-Aid is treble or bust, what would you consider a successful season for Xavi in 2023-24? So I thought this was a good question. I mean, I just my knee-jerk response was, Defend the league title, at least reach the final of the Copa del Rey. And as far as Europe is concerned, honestly, just get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I had a similar thing. A successful season always has to do with the Liga. Historically, Mm -hmm. it always has to do with the Liga. Especially after you just won it and won it quite comfortably. Right. Defending it is even harder. Real Madrid already signed Jude Bellingham. And I'm not saying individual players matter because last summer Real Madrid signed as well. And they also might be doing more signing. And Atletico Mm -hmm. Madrid might, well, they don't actually financially have any money to do more signings. But hey, they might re-fortify, dig deep. And if you see Mm -hmm. the Antoine Griezmann that you got in the 
second 60% of the season as opposed to the yeah. first 40%, Atletico Madrid can't contend in the league. Remember, they were in a worse situation than Barcelona. Well, not to start the league, but they were in a similar situation to how Barcelona were yeah. last year at the start of this league season, and they got themselves all the way back up to a very comfortable, comfortable third. So Atletico Madrid's also... I, I don't, I don't want to just throw them out with, with the bathwater just because they're also in a pretty negative situation. But I said that, yeah, it always has to do with the Liga. And then it's either the Liga or the Copa del Rey, where I know it sounds stupid that if Barca gets second or third in the Liga, win the Copa del Rey, and obviously everything, I think, unfortunately, instead of saying treble or bust, Pancho, I think we should say Champions League or bust. Because truly, success in the Champions League is, to a point, what reiterates the success of the season. This season was interesting because... I think it was successful because they did win La Liga and they did make the semifinal of the Copa del Rey, which again, I, I think whether it's the quarterfinal, semifinal, final Copa del Rey, I, I don't think that matters too much. Uh, winning it does matter though. And then, yeah, depending on the Champions League, they crash out in the group state. So you could call this season a failure if you're only judging through the Champions League. But because again, everything always has to do with the Liga, I think for success, then it was successful season for Xavi. And then to me, I also think the Champions League should be group and matchup dependent. I think, I mean, let's just say they win their group and then they get Man City in the quarterfinals anyway. So they breeze through the first knockout round. Then they get Man City because that's how the draw is. Is that a failure? Is it a failure if you lose to Man City in the quarterfinals? I don't think so, right? I mean, it's the same thing. Like, what if Bayern Munich do get second in their group and, and then Barcelona failed to get over the Bayern Munich hump in the, the first knockout round? I mean, I think, Right, or Barcelona finish second and move on to the knockouts and do get Man City or Bayern Munich or whoever is a contender next season in the in the knockouts. I, so it's just it's so difficult to say because I really do think it's what were the expectations of all the matches you went into and how did you perform? Because again, even in the group with Bayern Munich, Barcelona you feel like should be getting second. And then the irony of all that is though the Inter Miami Inter Milan reached the final. Inter Milan were in the final of the Champions League. If not for that miss on the doorstep, Pep Guardiola says it, and maybe we should say it too. If not for that miss on the doorstep, maybe Pep Guardiola and Man City don't win the Champions League. I mean, those are the small margins in Europe. And so the team that oh, absolutely. Barcelona felt like they should have knocked out of the group stage are the same team that make the final and could have won the gosh darn whole, whole thing. So it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, if they don't win the Champions League, it's not a failure. No. Yeah. But if they, they have to get to a certain level in Europe to make it a successful season. But in the same regard, you know, Europe is so fluky yeah. that I mean they could win it and they could also not win it. And they could also go out in the group stage again. And I mean that would be cataclysmic. Look, I think I think there's a couple of I think there's a couple of things at play here. But one in a weird in a weird sort of twist, I think how you were laying out enter the team that you don't have to squint too hard to see a scenario where Barca eliminate them in the in the group stage and in advance of the knockouts. But I feel like Inter getting to the final and putting forth such a, you know, showing in the final, expectations just might be inflated for everybody because everyone will hope for a, a similar type of Cinderella run. First and foremost, I think, you know, I, I was actually looking at this and Barca since 2018-2019, each European campaign has ended at an earlier stage than the one prior to it. So it went from, you know, the semis against Liverpool to the quarters against Bayern and that debacle and the, the round of 16 against PSG and then uh, loss in the group stage, loss in the group stage, 
but at which point it was the Eintracht Frankfurt and then Man City. So each and you know the the run preceding that one was the the remontada and you know the the negative remontada in Rome. So at this point, get out of the Champions League group is honestly, for being really honest with ourselves, should be the the true litmus test of you know at, at least sort of stemming stemming the bleeding a little bit. And then, I mean, I'm with you absolutely from that point. It's, you know, a lot of it is the draw. I mean, and, and you can get lucky. And if there's upsets at the group stage, you might get a fortunate draw in the round of, in the round of 16. And if there's upsets and, you know, whatever. Yeah, you can absolutely kind of fall into a favorable draw and um, have, you know, if not a cakewalk, a, a much easier path to the semifinals than you otherwise otherwise might. Yeah, or conversely, you can run into Man City and just run run into Man City on a on two particular nights where they're oh, really United. feeling it. Sorry, what's that? United. Manchester. Manchester. Yeah. Well, I mean, just yeah, you know, or you can run into you know just any mega you know any one of the other superpowers on a night where they're firing on all cylinders and yeah. you know it goes all wrong. So yeah, when when it comes to the knockout stuff, it, it's always weird to say you know this particular stage would would constitute success or failure. But I, I mean, I feel like just generally speaking. Where this where this team is now, it's not unreasonable to expect them to win their group and survive at least one round of knockout football in the Champions right. League. Right, right. Because they won the Liga, they are in pot one, and that's yeah, a exactly. better spot than the, the previous two seasons. So, but similar to that question, Hector asked, reflecting back on the team's progression during the season, do you think we are at the level to compete for European trophies next season? Whether you think we are or not, why do you hypothesize? Well, what do you hypothesize will be the determining factor? Xavi's tactics, financial situation, new signings, legends leaving, et cetera, et cetera. And Hector, to piggyback on kind of what we just said, instead of re-answering the, the question, team depth to me is the biggest factor in competing for trophies. And so the combination of new signings and the financial situation wind up being the two most important factors. One of the, again, the major reasons why Barca won the Liga this season is because they hit on Christensen, because they signed Lewandowski. It's true. Like, I mean, even though the levers had to be pulled and all that stuff and everybody, it all blew up. And again, I'm not talking about the finances. We have another question coming on that question in a bit. But regardless of the financial risk that was taken, the signings, again, in Lewandowski and in even, even Jules Kounde and Christensen um, and to it, to even a certain degree, Kessie and Rafinha, Rafinha, of course, like your your top two goal contributors this season were new signings. So that propelled Barcelona to win the Liga. I mean, more so than almost any other factor. Oddly enough, their best players were, with the exception of Lewandowski, their other three best players in Pedri, Ter Sagan, and Araujo were all at the club last year. But you get the point. Like they had already started to build something and they added to that with all these new signings. So again, when I say combination of new signings, there is even somehow less money this year than it was last year because of that new change of law in the Liga about the what what you can do to affect your wage bill and the limits on selling portions of your club and, and things like that. So they did put they did put restrictions on that uh, in in what should be called the FC Barcelona clause in uh in, oh in, yeah <laughs> in, in that uh, in that meeting yeah. and that again that is not just Tebas that is like the the what is it the club meeting or the owners meeting for everybody if you. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, that's like a, yeah, that's the, if not unanimous, that's at least sort of the, you know, the, the voted upon voice of, yeah. I of mean, clubs again, in the league. Also, 
to like protect teams and things like that. So oh, again, it's exactly but, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, there's been there's been so many periods of uh, I mean, at least a couple, namely that come to mind. But there's been multiple periods of you know just near financial ruin for Spanish football, like even in the top flight. Just I mean, major, and, I mean, but also down a lot of like major clubs, like Malaga. Oh, and that, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's it's, it's not just. No, that's what I mean. It goes so far beyond. It goes so far beyond Barca. You know, Barca and the Madrids. I mean, it's well. There's Valencia have their own unique set of problems, but you know, there's like you said, there there was Malaga, there was uh, Deportivo La Coruña, and you know, I mean, so many of these clubs have either had to be bailed out at various points in their histories, or you know, I mean, even smaller clubs like you know Alaves was nearly, you know, was basically being run into the ground by. I don't know a, what what by by what by all accounts sounds like a sort of a fake wealthy person in uh, 2003, give or take, and eventually was taken over by you know by a Basque businessman. But like, it's not only at the at the upper reaches of of the league. I mean, it's to guarantee that the the league doesn't essentially rot from the inside out. You know what I mean? And so yeah. you can even have functioning solvent teams from top to bottom, which. On the one hand, should be the bare minimum for a league, but on the other hand, requires a little coercion to do. You know, if you basically if you let these guys all operate unfettered, you're not going to have solvent clubs, you know, up and down the league. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, yeah, and then to go back to that point on on team depth, that Barcelona has a very coherent list of who they need and what they need, and it's to what degree they have to go down their their own signing step chart to get who they they need. You have to say, and because I, I do say we put a lot on managers about winning and not winning, and I think any manager, though I, I said it last show, would have had the same results as Xavi if you pluck Christensen, Araujo, Pedri, and Dembélé out of the games that they missed this season. I think the results are very, very similar. Xavi's one big error that was we we gave him that award on the award show last Thursday was the Araujo versus Man United decision. But even then, that's one mistake that bit him that we look back to and say Barcelona 
failed in Europa League because they lost to Manchester United because Xavi waited way too long to put Araujo back in the middle. But again, that is the, this one moment where Barcelona were already out of the group stage of the Champions League. They didn't move on. And by that point, and even like the, the Copa del Rey, like the 1-0 Copa del Rey and Real Madrid was such a weird game. Is that for the first, the only time ever Barcelona played like Real Madrid. But then in the, the second leg, Real Madrid were just much better. They were just and they won, and uh, yeah, and then they, they, beat, they beat Barcelona, they put them to the sword, and that was it. And I don't know who, what managers do a few things differently. Like, clearly Xavi has a locker room. Again, there were only rare moments this season when I felt like players either weren't listening or tuning them out or frustrated. Or, uh, But then he always brought them back in. I mean, like, Rafinha, you'd have to look at his body language and say, oh, he's, like, totally out and he's done. But then look at the way Rafinha, over the summer, and every time anybody asked him anything, what do you think about being a Barca? And he's like, yeah, of course. I'm going to stay. I want to play. I want to. I want to do it. I lo- like. I love Xavi, and and that's the way it is. Yeah, and I think. Look, I think with the body language too, it's it's funny. So much of that gets put on a manager's doorstep, and you know, because it is very much a two way street. It's understandable if a player is frustrated for not, you know, not getting the amount of not getting the amount of run that they that they think they deserve, or you know, getting substituted earlier than they thought they should have, you know, if at all, like most of these guys never want to come out of a game. When someone says, I don't think Xavi has done anything that would constitute sort of, quote, losing the locker room, like actually sort of poisoning the well or genuinely sort of setting fire to these relationships or undermining his players or anything like that. I mean, if the worst, you know, if the worst thing is you're kind of pissed at a guy because he, whatever, had the had the temerity to, <laughs> to substitute you in a game, like, that's fine because that that should be a situation where mature, cooler heads prevail. Like I don't even think that is a real problem. That's just annoyance in the moment. And you know, you you take a shower, you you know, you you kind of cool off for a second. And these aren't kind of festering issues. And well, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, but, but, I think that end that I think that like, for Fini, I always bring him up as, a, mm-hmm. as an odd example because he fits mm-hmm. a weird role in the team. Where I think some of the other guys in the middle parts of their careers, like the young, like Ter Stegen. Mm-hmm because of the recent failures, like those guys are desperate to win trophies. Like, of course they're in buy-in because they needed something new. They needed a fresh start. I mean, even if they believed in Kuman and I mean, I don't know if anybody believed in KK Setien, but you know, even if they believed in the end of Alverde and didn't want him out, like there, there is still something in that level or that age of player that wants it. Lewandowski again arrives. And as long as you give that guy pretty much as many minutes as he got, you know, over 4,000 minutes and he scores 30 plus goals or, he, he's, in, he's he's fine, and he'll he'll behave. And then you have the rest of the team is pretty young. So, of course, they're bought in. Araujo, Pedri, Gabi, like, they don't know any better other than than Xavi as the manager to to, to try to get them and, and rile them up and, and get them where they need to go. So, really, it's just Jules Kunde even still, he's, what, 24. So, now you're talking, honestly, then Debele fits in that other camp. camp. So, once again, you're really just talking about, and Christensen is a new face, so he's got something to prove. Again, if you say Kessie and... And Rafinha and Christensen, as new face, had something to prove for Xavi, then sure. And so again, like you're literally then talking about who? Alba, and, right? Did Alba buy in or Roberto and those kind of guys? But those are captains. Catalans, those are captains. And, and Alba decided that he was done as well. So Busquets left. And yeah, I, I think, again, this is Xavi's team. This is Xavi's squad. And they're completely bought in. So I don't know. Yeah, we got a next ready. question here. You ready? Yep. Yep. Right, I've, I've, I've got a lot for this one. <laughs> 
Yeah. So for Bichir, Victor Font's recent press conference was concerning, he says. Was this a political battle with the club in a worse financial situation than Laporta took over? Any additional clarifications on the financial status of the club? But Bichir, I- I'm going to throw as cold water on this as humanly possible to start. And then we can even go over kind of what he said. Because as far as the financial clarity stuff, the annual report that usually comes out in the next few weeks, and then I usually have Patreon Mike come on about that. It came out on June 30th last year. And as boring as it is, I'm interested in, again, going through that because that tells you what the financial records were from the previous calendar year. While it doesn't say much about the future, it will say something about the losses and the debt. And last season, even when that report came out on June 30th and we had shows kind of fighting against all those reports by big outlets talking about the financial situation and the levers and all that stuff. And I kept reiterating it and reiterating it and reiterating it that there is unknown in the future for Barcelona financially. And it is worrisome, the choices that they make to mortgage part of their future. That is worrying. It doesn't stop to be worrying. But as far as the present, there is a there is calculations and you can look at the numbers in terms of the revenue that was made last year, the projected revenue for next year based on the revenue that was made this year. And then the things that are going to go into that, including Montjuic and the players in the squad and winning and all those permutations, those are all available in the financial reports and the annual report. So we're going to be able to have more clarification on that coming hopefully in the next two weeks or so. And to me, the Victor font stuff, but Emil, you can really dive farther into this. Friend of the show, Rory Barlow, summed it up pretty well, I thought. Barcelona won La Liga, but presidential candidate Victor Font spent the morning telling the media that they have gotten worse off the pitch in the last two and a half years. Real Madrid yes. <laughs> won, we only won the Copa del Rey, but Jude Bellingham arrived telling the press their plans were so exciting. So the same, like, for, mm-hmm. so again, it's just weeks after the season. Barcelona yep. is already emotionally, they're done with La Liga because they're mm-hmm. failures in the Champions League again. And Real Madrid win Copa del Rey. And now, because of Jude Bellingham, they're going to win it all. They're going to win the Champions League. They're going to win the La Liga again. They're going to win the treble. And the parade has already begun down the streets of Madrid. And that, again, it, sum, it sums up so much of where it seems like both these clubs seem to it's, be. It's the vibes at, at both clubs kind of in a in a nutshell. Absolutely. And I think there's a couple of things. So to, to Bashir's question, like the, the initial question, you know, is this just sort of political nonsense and political battling because Victor Font was the the runner up to Juan Laporta in the in the last presidential election. So, you know, presumably he's like I, I don't imagine he stopped trying to consolidate his position and I don't I, I don't imagine he no longer has designs on being club president one day. I mean, my answer is probably both. I mean, it, again, like you said, without knowing the actual the actual dollars and cents or, you know, euros and centimos to like, is it actually literally worse or not? I don't know. I mean, I, the the one thing that I suppose we can say is, you know, they pulled all the levers. They have done, they've essentially tapped as, you know, all of the, the, the financial spigots that they can to, I guess, be or stay solvent and bring in some new players. Yeah, on the pitch, it worked. You know, they won the league and a little bit of the, the positivity came back. At the very least, we can say, I mean, I, I would be shocked if a... A completely transparent look at the club's finances suggests that they are dramatically better off in terms of being, you know, more profitable or less saddled by debt. I mean, because the the first thing he did was in in the name of winning, and I understand there's a certain element of there's a there's a big significance in 
in winning again and being relevant on the pitch that then feeds the the financial beast. But in the name of that, I think that, you know, they pulled every lever and immediately went on a monumental shopping spree, which even at the time struck me as, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I suppose it worked, you know what I mean? But to, you know, at, at what long-term cost, I guess we're, we're going to find out. Now, the one interesting thing is that uh, another article that I was reading in Sport today, so uh, said that, what is this guy's name? I want to make sure that I get the name right. It's uh, one of the vice presidents of finance, Edward Romeo. Uh, apparently at the time of Laporta's election and return to the presidency, you know, he was one of the, I mean, he's obviously he's a, he's a financial vice president, so he's going to be, you know, front and center on these things. He was apparently beating the drum, at least in, as this article says it, it doesn't seem entirely unbiased, but the, the facts hold. I mean, he's, Romeo has said many times, when when this new regime came in, give us two years, you know, like we, you know, we invited, you know, we inherited this, you know, just completely toxic situation. We're going to have to clean everything up, whatever. And now it's like, uh, was it 30 months on, 28 months on? Uh, he's asking for two more years. So there's already a little bit of preemptive damage, control, you know, kind of judge us on where we are two years from now. Yeah. When, you know, it's sort of, which leads me to believe that there was not going to be a dramatic uh, improvement in what we see in the financial situation. I mean, that being said, I think there might. I think there's a good bit of validity to a, to what Font said, but at the same time, I think there is a massive bit of political posturing because he also managed to very deftly slide into his comments that had he been elected, Lionel Messi would still be here. The club would have somehow managed to sign Erling Holland, and he teased the possibility of a future return for Pep Guardiola. So, I mean, the dude's working. Dude's working his angles too. I mean, I, I think that was the issue where you could poke holes. <laughs> of the things that, that yeah. about again he he attached Davi to his project more than any yeah. other Laporta came calling and, and Davi was gone in a second as far as Barcelona's again finances go I think the the transfer that seems to be the hottest right now it's the most telling again mm. Vita Roca it seems like 35 mil plus 10 mm. at the end of the day is probably going to be agreed upon and signed even though bigger offers are coming in the player wants Barcelona the players wanted Barcelona he's willing to wait for Barcelona he's even willing to play out in Brazil and get those minutes and then come in January so that he could potentially be registered and that is the key there right if Vita Roca is the first deal done that is almost confirmation that Barcelona again have the revenue to buy players it's not about the transfer fees as well of course they to a limit right they can't go out and have 250 million in their transfer transfer bucket and pay for all that but and it's also, I mean, those contracts are really important too, is how long are those contracts and what is done with those contracts. But again, those contracts is also what dictates whether or not they could register them in the Liga. So how much money are they agreeing to sign these players for how many years and things like that? Those are even more key factors than the transfer numbers, as we always say. So again, if they are able to sign, he is the first quote unquote signing, but then doesn't come to January because they potentially are going to, it's, it's going to be a race against the clock to even register him in January. Again, that tells you where the club currently is, that they, as far as their revenue, it is not high enough to push the transfer wage yeah. bill limit high enough to register players, right? So like that is my concern is that the loss in revenue and the losses that are being taken, which again, Victor Font is correct, that there are more losses being taken and there is more debt that has accrued over the last two years for the club. Yes, that is true to a point, but, but again- the Well, club and also I think the, what exacerbates a lot of this stuff too is, I mean, like you said, so there's the move to Montjuic where, you know, the, the stadium is, you know, less than two thirds the capacity of Camp Nou. 
you know, it's not the sort of the, the tourist destination the, the Camp Nou is. So, and there's already been a lot of noise from season ticket holders and the socios that uh, demanding that the price of next season season ticket be reduced just because of, you know, we're not going to Camp Nou. We're, you know, we're going to this also, you know, essentially an also ran stadium to which transport is kind of a nightmare. Uh, yeah. If you have a scooter, it's okay. There's nowhere to park cars. There's not really a train that goes there. And your best bet is, I guess, to scramble a whole bunch of buses or people walk. And so they're going to be there until November of 24. Yeah. Best case scenario. Yeah. And then you come back to Camp Nou at 60% capacity. Right. And then you look at the revenue that is made at the gate. As I always say, Barcelona yeah. is a major gate club. Same thing as Borussia yeah. Dortmund. Like Those are clubs that yeah. really do put a heavy focus on the revenue gain through the gate. Yeah, and that is a that is a great concern. So Victor Font is right about those things. And again, in the same way that he says that the club entourage is toxic, and that is true, again, that goes back to the Entorno. That's what Rory Barlow brought up. And I think the most interesting thing he said, which I, I think this translation is correct, that he says, my vocation and that of my team is to help transform the club. Barca have to change its governance model. It doesn't work to have a Superman president who runs everything. And to me... That is the most political thing that he could have possibly said, because I think some people tried to, you know, make him out into this, this, this villain who's, you know, in the pocket of big whatever and, and, and going to try to change the, the model of the socios and things like that. But to me, that is a, a risk that he is taking at a shot at Laporta. It's a shot in the dark to be different than Laporta. Because again, a reminder, as I said during the presidential elections, whether it was Font whether it was Freixa, whether it was Laporta, these very wealthy Catalan businessmen are in the exact same circle of the same high society as it always yes. been. And oh. interestingly enough, again, one of the things that I was reminded to as I've been working on some of these histories, history things is that Barcelona, again, a reminder, is a, I, I know I'm speaking in English and I know I'm from the U.S., but it is a Catalan club and it has been run by Catalan people who are usually who usually know each other. Because, again, yeah. even dating back to the Franco years where it seemed like he had a president or two that he was propping up that didn't know anything about sport and throwing them in there. But yeah. even they were in some way related to Catalan high society at the time and had connections. Mm -hmm. And so it gets very muddy in the decisions that they were making and, and who's who's best interest that they have at heart. And so I think for Victor Font, it's difficult because like all of these candidates, it is looking in the mirror. It is looking at colleagues, it is looking at people that they see at the same fancy dinners and things like that. Because if you think they're different, they're, they're generally not. They're, they're, yeah. they're very, very similar. Yeah, he has I, to find some way to differentiate himself. Correct. Because, <laughs> yeah, this sorry. is a sports club election. This yeah. is not like a, a country. Like there's not a national election. I can tell you most national elections, again, understanding geopolitics is that very often you, you have more often than not, you have two candidates that are more similar to each other always mm -hmm. than they are to you. And that is just, I mean, that is just like populism 101. <laughs> that's how, yeah. that's how politics works. Yep. And I mean, I think the one, like the one interesting thing was, so the last, the last election where they, where Laporta and, and Font duked it out and came in one, two, you know, we all remember that. I think the the overarching vibe going into that election was, you know, anyone but, but uh, anyone but Barto, anyone, and you know, not the basically not the fruit of the Rosell Bartomeu tree. You know, not the which is Tony. Yeah, Ray. yeah. 
Yeah. So it wasn't going to be him. It was never going to be him. And it was either going to be, yeah. And it was basically who am I, but not, not him. That was the most, that was the greatest thing. Now Laporta had the, the Guardiola years to, to lean on and presumably that, that carried the day. But yeah, so now you're at a point where you don't, there's not the easy rallying cry anymore. So I, and I agree with you that font in kind of, there, there's a, there is a strong element of kind of concern trolling here because like I said, he, he managed to slide in his, you know, well, if you'd elected me, we'd have Messi Holland and Pep would be riding back into town. Yeah, but you wouldn't have uh, Lewandowski. They never, with, with font then, yeah. if had a financial plan, he would have had to bring back Messi. Then you yeah. don't sign Lewandowski and you don't sign Rafinha and you probably don't win the Liga. So who scored those goals then? Is Ferran Torres a 25 goal scorer in Victor Font's world? I mean, again, like if you say, well, I guess presumably but, yeah. it's you have you have a front line that's anchored, you know, or anchored by you know Messi's pulling the strings and feeding Holland in his in his <laughs> manufactured, you know, in his hypothetical yeah, hypothetical yeah. scenario. But I mean, irrespective of that, I mean, I guess a little bit of it comes back to like he there's there's obviously some just naked naked politicking there. But a little bit of what I come back to is, you know, just because he's a hypocrite doesn't mean he's necessarily wrong. So I think there's a little bit of that. I think his his motives are very clear and there's a, there's a strong self-serving, there, there's a certain a strong self-serving uh, element to his, to his statements, yeah, I mean, but I don't think they're built on a, on a foundation of complete nonsense. Well, I, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think there is definitely with this in porno, there is, and I, I even see it in comments that I have to fight back against. Like there is this, you be, it, it's tribal about which president you're going to support and which figure do you want to support. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're supporting FC Barcelona. So what is, I mean, and it's, it's fair. Like this is a club that is still owned by the members and it's owned by the yeah. socios. So it is totally fair that there are things that, the Juan Laporta, who is the president of the club that I support and have my card for, I mean, does things in a certain way that I don't necessarily agree with or like, but I still trust that he's going to have the best interests of FC Barcelona at heart and is going to do everything he can to make them the most successful on the field with, again, being patient about the time it takes to financially get out of debt. Again, I know that it takes a long time to get out of debt. That's not an easy thing, especially when you're talking about $1.5 billion dollar loan to a euro loan to Goldman Sachs and different things like that. I also know the very dark under for, an unfortunate nature of the finances of, of club football now and, and the ways in which there are again, billions of dollars and euros changing hands across continents. Right. And so, I mean, when we're talking about the highest level of these biggest clubs, it is dark, it is nasty. And so Laporta, I, the only thing I ever expect of him is in charge of FC Barcelona do things the best and the and 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 the way that again that you kind of promise that you do it, Mescaun Club, and and do it that way. And as long as you're doing it that way, and there's some success on the field to enjoy, then I guess that I guess that again that is the path of the least, not even resistance, but that is the path of, of least of least evil. And and that's kind of what I want from the president of Barcelona to don't be as evil as everybody else. And that's kind of where we're at when it comes to big clubs. All right, last question here. You just asked, would a 3-2-4-1 system like Man City suit Barcelona? Can Frankie slash Eric Garcia be the Rotary Stones here? And I was thinking about this, Emil, and I think Eric, yeah, he can do the job against select opponents. We saw this year. But any comparison to Rodri and Stones would be absolutely <laughs> crazy, of course. Yeah, but I, actually, yeah. <laughs> I would actually say that you could hope that Christensen can do that job instead. And I think you could see more of that this coming season, depending on how certain guys shake out. But that's also maybe only if a right back arrives, because I right. don't know if Sergio Roberto 
and Julian Araujo are going to be trusted in that situation or are going to be good enough. Because Inigo Martinez coming in, that means that the left center back spot is a bit more covered. Marcos Alonso is already moving to the left back spot to back up Balde. And if a right back does arrive, that puts Kunde and Araujo in the middle. So obviously, Eric Garcia is sent packing in the situation. I could also see Balde, Christensen, Araujo, Kunde for any game where you know it'll be tough. And then you have De Young Christensen in midfield in front of Martinez, Kunde, Araujo in some of the other games. Like there, there's, there is a situation where I think Christensen can play as a defensive midfielder this year by, I mean, again, if you're, especially if you're going to play a 3 2 4 1, I think that permutation of De Young and Christensen in front of Martinez, Kunde, and Araujo makes sense to me. The only thing that I'm concerned with is it's the width of the field. Again, that puts so much, so much on the, again, the left winger and the right winger to play wide. And so Xavi would not be able to play if it's, if it's Eric, if it's, sorry, Christensen and De Young, uh, sorry, as a double pivot. And then you have Martinez, Kunde, and Araujo in a three behind. Then you lose Balde. You lose that, that left wing contribution. And that means that you would need basically Dembele to play on the left wing with Pena on the right and Lewandowski up top. I, I don't see how Barcelona are talented enough to play anything other than that permutation. And as we saw with Xavi, it, it's tough because once he switched to that four midfield, he basically locked in four midfielders. Then he said, well, Kessie is basically the only backup midfielder. So you do limit the number of options you have. Again, especially if he's going to do that, three, two, four, one, you're basically burning any use for Julian Araujo or for mm-hmm. uh, Sergio Roberto. And you have to figure out, okay, so is Balde then, as, is, he, is he our left winger? And I think the answer then would have to be yes. He would be the left winger in that system regardless. And then you have Dembele likely on the right or Rafinha on the right, depending on who's healthy and, and fit. And then Lewandowski up top. So I could definitely see, and I, I didn't mention Pedro and Gabi, but I'm, I'm just throwing them in because it's the understanding that Pedro and Gabi are the two. Well, they're, yeah, they're in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. And I, and I do think that, like you said, I mean, Balde offers so much value out wide on the left and in, in that formation, you would lose some of that. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you that I think to, to play that three, two, four, one would necessitate Balde becoming your left winger and, Presumably, assuming Dembele and Ruffini are both, you know, healthy and both still here, yeah, they they kind of man the other side, and yeah, until further notice, the the one is is Lewandowski. Yeah, the the Christian Christiansen point that you that you brought up was an interesting one. In reading the question, I was thinking Frankie and Eric Garcia, and then Rodri Stones. Just, I mean, like I said, that I, I understand the the spirit of the question and. And I understand that the question isn't saying can they be as good as as those two, but can they can they perform a similar function? But the point that you make about Christensen in you know rather than than Eric in that spot is an interesting one. I mean, especially given the the defensive trio that you that you laid out playing playing behind them. Um, when it comes to that, I mean, I have a difficult time truly sort of conceiving of what what I do think it would look like. Look, I mean, I think, um, and you said this about Eric Garcia. I think we had this conversation. You know, around the end of the season, if not, if I'm not mistaken, you just said it in your comments about Eric, which is he's a he's a decent, useful player for a particular level of opposition. Like he's the kind of guy who he's kind of in you know in baseball or you know whatever they when they say he's he's a good innings eater. You know, I mean, he's just as you're playing to win the league, 
against the sort of the the Hitafes of the world and the the Rayo Vallecanos of the world, I think he'll he's fine. But you know, when you're when you're playing against top tier opposition, I just don't know that he's he's up to that level. So if that's a duo that you want to experiment with and dabble with in that in that formation, you need to have contingencies for when the the opposition is beyond the beyond the capability of of Eric Garcia, who you know we've talked about it, and I know where you stand on Eric Garcia, and like, but I mean, I think he's he's a decent player. He's 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 a horse for a particular type of course. You know what I mean? I mean, I do think he's getting sold though, because I think with Inigo Martinez yeah. coming in as a left center back, I think Eric Garcia is the odd. Unless man. you find a new place for him, yeah. I mean, I think he's yeah, I mean, he's kind of the odd man out there. Avi has already said that he he has Marcus Alonso as the backup left back this mm-hmm. year, next year, and. And that's it. I mean, and depth does matter, though. So if Alonso is moving over, even if Negro Martinez is coming in, Martinez would then, in theory, take Marcos Alonso's minutes, for which he had more than Eric Garcia. So in theory, Eric Garcia is still Eric Garcia next year. And I am always skeptical when I see those reports about, oh, then the fifth center back will be Chadi Riyad or whoever the – or Miko Marmo, whoever the, mm. the young player of the day was. yeah. yeah. And so I'm always skeptical about that because that's never the case. Like that, they, that Barca athletic player is never called up to be the fifth center back. I mean, yeah, they'll get rare minutes, but it's never the case. Like you're either in the squad as a center back or not in the squad. Like you, you don't really see those call-ups midseason and things like that or for, for, for rare moments or games. Like you'll see them again come up, but they're coming up as a youth player to play a one-off game. They're not coming up to be the fifth center back and play some kind of role in that situation. They usually have somebody else brought in for that. But again, like the... the Tactically, and the philosophy would be, then you would have actually Kunde would be the situation of Frankie and Kunde because again we're talking about build up because even that three two four one system isn't a three two four one it's a three two five going forward I mean that it, that's what it is in possession it is a three two five which is what Barcelona played in that uh, that's the point of that box midfield don't think of it as a four in a box midfield think of it as what facilitates you to have five players across that front line. Because most teams play a low block. I mean, maybe you see a counterattacking medium block if the team is talented enough. We saw that a bunch from Inter and Real Madrid and things like that. And you'll see that. But that would mean that Kunde, if you want to play the system that, I mean, or to tweak it to be more similar to what Guardiola's Man City did than what Barcelona Xavi did, is that you have to have Kunde then stepping in to that defensive midfield role from the right back spot. You have to have him be inverted right back, is what is necessary for that system. But again, Xavi also loves space, 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 almost even more so than I think at times Pep can be dogmatic to the positional play. And, and, and Xavi is so intent on space, especially on that right wing, where you cannot have Dembele going all the way forward, and then you leave yourself a bit exposed by having Kunde come inside. It's just, it's not going to work. And I think Araujo, as we saw last year, puts out a ton of fires whenever Kunde was getting forward or choosing to step forward. But Barcelona were built on their defensive solidity next season. And I think Xavi is going to continue to do that. And permutations in this squad, I think, are very similar to what they were. Because the fact that we're talking about rotation pieces changing because of Eric Garcia, you know, I, th- I think we're, that tells us we're at the end of the show, actually, Emil. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway. Follow Emil on Twitter down in the show notes below. Again, these listener questions, if you feel like we didn't get to all of them, it's because we didn't. And so next, the next show this week or later in the week, I will likely fly solo unless somebody comes out of the bushes that I'm, I'm not expecting. But I will likely be flying solo, answering a bunch of those, and you have that to look forward to later in the week. So, Emil, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you, Dan.
Pleasure yeah, I don't, say thank, I don't. We don't say thank you enough. So thank you to Emil and thank you to <laughs> thanks, especially of course to all the Patreons, especially during the summer months. And again, a closed Facebook group. Thanks for these questions. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I, I actually I don't want to say thank you too much to TikTok, but thank you if you do follow us on TikTok <laughs> and engage in that content. As you know, some of the comments may be, but also thank you to everybody on YouTube as well. I put out the plea, get me over fourteen thousand. Now I'm putting out the plea again. If you're still with me here at this point in the show, in this part of the season or we'll say this part of the year, then uh, somehow, if you're one of the rare people not subscribed to the YouTube channel, go over there. Because again, I have a lot of summer content, including the history stuff. It's for, we'll say, the hardcore Kool-Aids. <laughs> that is basically <laughs> So most importantly, though, thank you for always listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Where's the Barcelona? Where's the Barcelona?